Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Philippians and what it looks like to live a joy-filled life in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-hosts Aaron and me in conversation today are Julian and Mary Battle. So Julian, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you and Mary met, and then Mary, you get to tell us about how that meeting led to marriage. Wow. Okay. So Mary and I met probably back in 2004. We met in um, our Sunday school class, in the single Sunday school class, and Mary walked up, said, we should hang out. And I said, I agree. <laughs> I know, not knowing her from Adam. So, um, so we went and hung out, and and actually, I will confess, we skipped evening service oh, and we whoop. watched the um, Blade trilogy. All right, Mary. So we got to know what inspired you to go up to Julian and just say, "Hey, we need to hang out." I liked his hair, and I thought he was cute. Okay, those are good reasons. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's about all you need, and you had some self confidence. Oh yeah. Too much. She did. (laughs) That's funny. So how did skipping evening service and watching the Blade trilogy lead to marriage, Mary? It didn't initially. I ended up dating somebody else for three years. Wow. And then decided at some point after watching the guy that I was dating not do so well in life, uh, I noticed that Julian was just kind of stellar and everyone kept on pointing him out to me. So I ditched that guy, you know, pursued Julian. Made a smart choice. (laughs) Made a smart choice. Well, let's move on to our first things first question. So I'm going to ask you the first things first question, and then you're going to answer and also give a brief bio on yourself. So the first things first question is, when is the first time you remember learning the name of a star or a group of stars? We're talking about stars in the sky. I was pretty young, and I think my mom had a star book. Uh, I grew up in Africa, so we would go outside, and it was very dark, and so it was easy to see Orion, Orion's belt, Big Dipper, Little Dipper, Northern Star. We would see the planets. Um, So I don't really remember a time specifically when I learned the first name of a star, but I remember it being something we did often was stargazing. Very fun. All right, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a mom of three. I have, we we have uh, Jethro, who is five, and then twins, a uh, boy and a girl, Sylvie and Silas, who are two. Um, currently, I stay at home with them, and I work for Amber, very part-time. Which I love. And uh, I, by background in trade, I'm a licensed professional counselor, uh, did that in the workplace for a while, um, but currently, just, just being at home, being a mom. Needing counseling yourself. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) With twins and a five-year-old, we all would need counseling. Sleep. Sleep Sleep is the best best medicine. All right, Julian, what about you? So, Julian Battle. I'm an elder here at First Pres. By trade, I'm an electrical engineer. So, I've been doing that for, gosh, almost 20 years. And the company that I work for is an Aiken, South Carolina engineering firm, which I got a great team and love love being at. So married to Mary, 14 years. Yes. We got three little ones. And I always tell people it's joyful chaos at the battleground. So (laughs) I like that. All right. Did you say your stars? So the star, man, uh, I do remember learning about the constellations, the Big Dipper and Orion. But I'll tell you this, I was, what comes out to me was learning that our sun was a star. (laughs) And so when someone told me that, I said, you're lying. 
No, you're lying. It's just a big ball, I mean, in the sky. But, I mean, it was a ball full of gases, and that's what the stars are. So everything is not what it appears to be when you're here on Earth. So <laughs> so I remember telling someone, you're lying. You don't know what you're talking about, but this our makes sun me is think a star. Of a, that makes me think of the Lion King, where Timon and Pumbaa are talking, and he's like, what are the stars? Oh, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, so... That also has something to do with gas. It does. If you don't know, you might <laughs> might want to check it out. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so my first star memory, I also grew up in a rural area in America, but the stars are very breathtaking. I feel like when you're in a really dark place, there's no light pollution. You see the stars, they are so beautiful. And I think that only, I grew up in public school, early 90s, so you know there's the star tent that went around to the schools. I don't know if y'all have experienced that. Delight. I did not. I did oh, not. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. So you go into the tent. And it kind of smells like dirty socks, but the there's pinholes, I guess, in the the ceiling. You know, it's inflatable. You're inside, and they've they're pointing out all the constellations. And I remember Orion. That's so funny that you mentioned that too. And that's probably the only constellation that I could find with some sort of accuracy and predictability, even to this day. You know, it's just so easy to point out and see. And so I even now when I see it, I'm like, there he is with his belt. So I don't know that I could find one other constellation. So I'm going to go with Orion. All right. right. Very good. All right. I do not remember the names of the two stars that I'm going to reference. I just remember that they are in the Big Dipper. And Mm. I had a friend growing up. He lived about two houses down from me. And just one of those fun neighborhood friends that you just were that summertime best buds. And his name was Christopher. And when we got to high school, we were still friends and he was going off to college and we were hanging out someplace. And he said, OK, you know how we're going to remember each other. We're going to look up in the sky and at that big dipper, third star down from the top of the handle. It's such and such star and such and such star, which I forget. And they rotate around each other. And that little star that rotates around the bigger star is teeny tiny. And you have to look really close to to see it. But I just thought that was such a... I think Christopher liked you. He might have liked me a little bit. (laughs) And I might have liked him a little bit, but just not at the same time. But he really was one of those first true good guy friends. And so, yeah, I always think about him when I think about that. So fun. Well, we are talking in Philippians when you think about good friends and people who like you and things like that. And just the joy of community and being cared for by other people. That's a big theme that we find in this letter of Philippians. We just, we've seen over and over again, how much love and appreciation Paul himself has for the Philippian believers, how much love they have for him, the mutual sacrifice between the two, uh, the hope that they share in the gospel, the joy that they share in the gospel. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage these dear believers that he loves in this local church at Philippi to continue on in that gospel that they have received. He's encouraged them up to this point in chapter one, just to remember who they are. And he started out at the beginning of chapter two saying, remember who you are together. Remember how important it is to live in humble unity with one another. Uh, Remember the mind that you have received, that humble mindedness that you have received in Christ. He has given that to you. He is not only your example of a humble servant, but he has humbly served you to become your savior. And in doing so, he has joined you together in a wonderful and beautiful and important way. And he's continuing on in that vein of thought today in our verses. Today, we're going to be talking about chapter two, verses 12 through 30. And if you're listening and you haven't read these verses yet, as always, I encourage you to hit the pause button. Read the verses, then come back to the conversation because you'll get more out of it if you do. 
And Paul is moving through these verses, like I said, continuing on with this train of thought and, and calling it obedience, this obedience to live out their salvation together in community in the body of Christ. And he's going to talk about what that looks like and why it's so important. And that obedience is a gift, not a drudgery. Um, it is he, because he wants to, them to experience life. So Aaron, I do want you to talk about, there's a phrase in these verses that says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And she's smiling at me because we had a conversation about this earlier. And once we were talking in our teaching team, we have a little teaching team that teaches every Wednesday morning for our women's Bible study. And so we do some study work together the week before just to help one another think through what the passage is really saying. And one of the questions is what is surprising in this passage or seems, seems strange maybe. And we all said, you know, the statement that pops off these pages to us is this work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of like, what? What is that? And I said, you know, do you think that would have popped off the page to the Philippian believers like that? Or is it just happens to be where we are currently in our Christian culture? And there's a lot of language and thought around those words, work, salvation, working it out, different thoughts in a good way. We've wrestled through the various components of those things. So I think we're in tune to that maybe in some ways that the flipping believers would not necessarily have been. But I think it's important to recognize why does that pop off the page just like that? What does it make us think? And what does it really mean? And Aaron, what do you think about that? Yeah, I enjoyed this passage a whole lot. First of all, the way I received this te- teaching for so long was to work out your salvation meant the onus was on you to make sure that you and the Lord were square. Mm-hmm. And how, what a horrible, that's not good news. Right. So I think just studying for this and being, I'm, and I'm sorry to all of my English and history teachers out there in Radio Land. I probably learned about reading with anachronism in high school. I think that, that we probably learned that, but I really didn't get a hold for that until I was in seminary and my language professor was talking about it. And I was like, oh, this really matters. Like mm-hmm. understanding culture and context really matters. And understanding that that first century Christian would have had that communal community mindset so much more the same to the level that we have the individualized mindset, the first century Christian would have had this community mindset of knowing that God addresses people. He delights in community. We're meant to live in community. And so I think you're right. When that first century Philippian would have read this letter, he would have received this at least somewhat in the tone of to work out your salvation of spiritual health in the church. And I think there's so much more freedom in that, in that this is not about your moment of justification, which is how I would have probably, even though on paper, I don't think that's right, that I know that a pursuit of holiness is something that we are continuing to do as believers. But my justification rests in Christ alone. But there was something about this verse, it was always a snag for me that somehow the weight was now on me to make sure that me and the Lord were square and to understand this as no, this is a pursuit of spiritual health within the church body. And he's encouraged in Philippians to that effect. I think there's there's such beauty in that. And you were pointing out too, which I think is helpful, that we do have an individual role in this even though it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, I think there is that both and that yeah. we love in Reformed theology, that there is that tension there. Yeah, there is definitely um, that tension that maybe we could want to land one place or another. If God is doing all the work, if God is the one working in me, what I can't work in myself, then why do I have to work at all? Or we could think, well, if God's not doing anything. I got to do it all. But the actual argument goes something like, because God is doing all of the work, then I get to work. 
Yeah, and I think that comes out even in this text. Like we see that God is the energizing force behind anything, anything good we bring, any goodwill, any good works, that he is the one who even bequeaths that upon us, that gives us the desire to move in that. And Ritterboss is a favorite uh, writer of mine in Christian theology, and he says that because God works and has worked, therefore man must and can work. Like we are liberated to do God's good work because of the work he's doing in us. All right, y'all. So now that we've talked about that phrase a little bit, and it's more than just a phrase, but it is at the heart of what Paul is saying here is that we have a salvation that has been given to us and it matters in life. We live in light of it. So what does it look like then for y'all to work out your salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who is working you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And Julian, you get to start us off. I love that quote because it made me think about my time at Georgia at Georgia Tech, um, and I was going to school, but I was also working at the same time. So I took a late night class, and it was almost like every, it was a lab, every single night I was in that lab, like until midnight or 1 p.m. And I was, I literally was hating life because I would have to wake up in the next few hours to go to work. And so I was going across my field to my apartment and I was telling God, I said, God, this this is a bad move. You should have never sent me to Georgia Tech. This was a mistake. And literally felt the spirit, you know, just saying, hey, if you hate it so much here, then you hate everything else going on. You hate, you know, the community group, the Bible study. You know, I was involved with Crusade. You hate your time at Crusade. Everything that was going on in your life you're saying that you hate because of me. And that rocked my world. Hmm. That rocked my world because it was literally saying that I distrust God, that he did not know. It was a Job moment for me that I knew better than God. And I think that working out the fear and trembling, I was saying that before the creator of the world. And I had to shut my mouth and realize I needed to count my blessings because if I had a chance to think about it, Everything that was going on, God was leading up to that point. It was a blessing for me to be there at that point and doing what I was doing because of what the good hand of what the Lord was doing. I was thinking more about just the season that we are in right now. And where my mind went to was working out your salvation. What does that look like in this season? And for me, it is being faithful in the little things and doing things that feel like a ritual and praying that my heart will follow. Um, And it does. So whether that looks like taking care of my kids, whether that looks like listening to the Bible while I wash the dishes, whether that looks like just showing up on Sunday morning, even though I'm super tired, whether that looks like meeting with a friend, which I do every Thursday and just talking about life and praying over each other um, or being faithful to ask, you know, was that prayer answered? God shows up in those spaces and and meets me there. It's not always profound. We have moments of things being super f- profound, but in this season, it's been more of just how the Lord draws me back to himself in the small things. Mm. That's helpful. I and mean, when you think about doing something over a long period of time, which obviously Paul's exhortation to these Philippian believers, just keep on, you know, as you've obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even much more in my absence, continue to do this. The continuing sometimes is 
feels mundane. And yet what you're saying that it's so encouraging is that that doesn't mean that in the mundane, the Lord shows up in ways that maybe the mundane doesn't naturally seem like it's going to lend itself to. All of life is meeting both the things that are hard and also seeing the joy of those moments as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for us to dwell on things that are hard and it's okay. It's okay. Um, Going back to what Aaron said, it my, I had a similar background of uh, being raised in a church that definitely spoke about duty and works. And so for this, this is hard for me because I feel like when I do sit back and rest or not try to do everything, I'm somehow disobeying or not being enough. And um, what I'm starting to learn is more God will meet you with whatever you have, whether it's you know, I sit on the couch and spend time with our five-year-old. That is faithfully loving him. Or whether I'm doing something more active, that can be faithfully loving him. And he can he can bring the mind of Christ to me wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Paul goes on in this passage to give a specific example of one way that looks like to live in light of our salvation in our daily lives. And he references complaint and grumbling which is something that, of course, we all can be familiar with. And it could have been that Paul had in mind the complaints of God's people when God delivered them from Egypt and led them into the promised land because they were then God's people living in covenant with the Lord and with one another. And yet their discontentment with the way that the Lord had chosen to do things and the places they found themselves in overflowed into complaints and grumbling against one another, primarily really against their leadership. And so I'm not, I know that Paul in this letter is so concerned with the beauty and the necessity and the goodness of the unity in that local Philippian church that he's encouraging them, hey, remember the goodness of God to you. Remember what you have. Therefore, it doesn't overflow into grumbling and complaint against one another. So for y'all, when you have that desire to complain or to grumble about somebody or something, what do you think is at the root of that for you? I think that when I'm grumbling and complaining, I'm often looking out at somebody else's image of what they present and thinking, oh, they have it better than me. Or I'm grumbling and complaining because I feel alone. Mm. Um, So both of those things in this season of life are hard. And ultimately, I'm turning my eyes to other people's version of reality, which is not really reality what they present as reality. Or I'm just looking at myself and sort of navel gazing at what I think is wrong. And when we were talking about this before we came on the podcast, it made me think of, you know, how do we grumble and complain in a way where we're bringing those requests to God? Because I don't think it's necessarily sinful to say, this is hard, or I'm I'm struggling with this. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if the right word is grumbling and complaining, but it made me think about the Psalms um, and how we have talked about um, when we were studying Psalms that the the psalmist speaks his situation and where he's having a hard time to God, but he doesn't leave it there. He allows God to show him where he's meeting him in those moments. So it's I think where grumbling and complaining can be um, sinful is we stay in a season where that's all that you see. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think if you take grumbling, if I'm if I'm going to flip back to an ex- a biblical example of grumbling, complaining, it's hard not to go to the Israelites because sure. that was kind of their Achilles heel that they were prone to all the time. And I think what made them different than David and the psalmist is that their grumbling and complaint was against the character and authority of the sure. Lord. Mm-hmm. That was what they brought into question. Uh, they did question their circumstances, but underneath that was actually a questioning of God himself and, and, and saying, we don't want to be under your authority or do it your way anymore. I think there are times where life is very, very, and we've experienced this as a family where life is very, very hard. And all I want to do is scream or throw rocks at the cross. But ultimately, like Christ is big enough to receive that and then encircle me with his comfort and with his calm. Um and I think if I was to just sit and say, it's all your fault, um, there, I mean, that's valid. I think Job even says that to God, that that is, this is too hard, I can't handle it, or you're the cause of this. Um, but in the end, seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, like trusting that he is who he says he is. And I think God allows us to go through that process and get back to that place. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm tracking with you, and I think um, those two statements actually two theologically true questions. God is sovereign, yeah. which is why it's a good reason to, to talk to him about it. And and this is too hard. Um, maybe where because I do think there are cautions against grumbling and complaining, as well as permissions to struggle and lament. And so I think the caution is when we say to God, "And you are wrong," and yes. prove yourself to me because I am right. Right. And I think that's where we get ourselves into a pickle. Agreed. Yeah. What do you think, Julian? It, it was a hard check for me to think about the complaining of the Israelites versus, I mean, Moses complained as well. He yeah. complained about the Israelites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and just thinking, okay, what's the difference between that? Because the Lord didn't, uh, the Lord didn't smite Moses about it, but he got on the Israelites' case. So, but I think what you said and what, also, Mary said as well is just there's a the ingratitude and the testing of God's character, basically saying, I mean, listen, you didn't know what you were doing. We had it better back in Egypt. I mean, that is a smite right at the in the face of the Lord on all that he has done for the Israelites. While, you know, when Moses complained and talking about, listen, this is a stiff neck people he came to the Lord and saying I can't handle this great people of yours I mean so that kind of heart of going back to the father um, saying I don't have the capacity but you do can you do something I mean I think that is something I have to remind myself I mean just yesterday coming home hard day's work and just different um, requests were coming upon me late at the day and me asking to do things in my, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, why don't you take the initiative and go do it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't rely so much on, on me. And I'm in the car driving and remember I got 30 minutes in the car. So I'm screaming finally saying, Lord, I don't have the capacity. I'm limited. I, I'm but one man, but um, I felt I was heard by God. I felt, you know, I could come with him with that complaint because one, he was handling it. And two, I know the place where I'm at, you know, is a good place. I just, Lord, help me. Help me be able to 
love these people well or give me capacity. I just don't know that I have so I can be able to serve these people well. Yeah. Complaining and grumbling isn't saying we're not saying you can't can't admit weakness or can't admit things are hard. And we're not even really saying that you can't. Well, I'm just thinking the Lord did answer the Israelites' complaints and arguments. He did. Um, But it did happen to come with some discipline. (laughs) And discipline was because he wanted them to see who he truly was, you know. And in the complaint and argument, it's pretty hard. If you've said, you're wrong, I'm right, it's hard to see God as, as who he truly is. And it's hard to showcase God as who he truly is to others who might be seeing you as well. So I do think the Lord does answer us. And our complaints and our grumblings. He surely um, does. But he definitely desires to correct that thought that we might have, that somehow we are at the center of all this and we know what is best. And the second follow-up question was along those lines is, if you are engaged in the type of complaint and grumbling that we're talking about, that's really just sort of a, I know what's best, I know what's right, this is not right, and I'm just, I just want to run my mouth about it to whoever will listen, how do you feel like that then does impair your personal witness um, to an onlooking world, but just remembering that Paul is talking to the church. So the church itself, if we are representative always of people who complain and grumble against one another, against our leaders, against the Lord, against his His creation, people who are made in his image, how do you think that prevents us from properly showcasing who he really is? I mean, the mark of the Christian is joy, right? In, in things that are not like happy, right? That's That's different. Joy is that deep satisfaction in knowing that you are loved and that you belong, that you're adopted, and that even if everything hits the fan, you are secure in the Lord. And I think I've been in the space where every word that has come out of my mouth has been, well, it's this person's fault, or it's this person's fault, is this is what's going wrong, they need to change this. And it's often at leaders, it's often as people who I see as somebody who could change this situation. And where I have been called out in that is, but what about you? Mm-hmm. And and I think where my witness has been deterred is that it, in essence, I'm gossiping about somebody else. I'm saying this is their fault and I'm deteriorating the leadership of somebody else's God-given leadership as opposed to looking with grace and mercy on where they are fumbling through what they should do um, and seeing them for truly who they are. It seems like what you're expressing is it's easy for us to criticize those sure. who are in charge and want them to affect the change that we see that is needed instead of bringing just strict criticism, even if we see there are deficits because they're human. Of course, sure. there are going to be deficits or maybe even wrong turns. But instead of just bringing that criticism, I tell this to my kids a lot. Like if you want an adult to hurry and help you say, what can I do to help? So our spirit maybe should be like, what can I do to help in this situation to bring about the change that I see that is needed? I think that is part of Christian unity. I think it also drives other people away. Like mm. when I've, it, when I am not in that season of complaining, or God calls me out of that, and I hear somebody else complaining about similar things, um, I go, Ugh, "If only you could see this and this and this and this." When you're grumbling and complaining about the same thing over and over and over and over, thing maybe something to ask yourself is, "Who are you looking at? Who are you focusing on?" And it's not that things aren't hard. I mean. Things are hard. Life is hard. But who is your focus? Mm. It's hard in suffering to be patient in within our suffering. I mean, because we want our suffering to end and we wanted to 
be quick about it. So I was looking at James 5, verse 9 in James 5, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at your door. So in, in the context of that, James is saying, be patient. Be patient because, you know, the suffering won't last for forever. I mean, the Lord is still at work, so, but we need to be patient. But it's hard to see that at the moment because we want swift resolution. We want, I want my Burger King moment. I want, my, I want it my yeah, way. Right. I want it now. But, you know, the Lord in his due time, in his all infinite wisdom, he handles things in due time and it's always for our good. So, and it goes back to the first part of that Philippians um, verses talking about um, to do the will and the good work towards men. I mean, it's, I can't see everything in the way the Lord does. So, so I have to humble myself, which is tough and be patient on God's timing, but always remember that his timing is best. So when I'm around other people who grumble and complain, I got to remember one, I do the same thing, but two, I want to empathize and validate saying, I get where you're at, but you know, I got to, I want to speak in love and truth saying, but we can't see the entire picture. So that's where we need the spirit to be at work in us to be able to be a blessing to others. Yeah, I like that would be a blessing to others. You know, the corrective is for blessing. And I liked what you said, Mary. It's a question of who you're looking at. Because you, you, we want to say, I mean, I think the reason it dims our witness is because we're not showing them the, the brightest light. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's me, or maybe it's yourself, or maybe it's the people around you, or maybe it's the leadership or whatever. But they're not the brightest light. They're never going to be. You know, so who are you looking at? Does the Lord shine bright to you? And if he does, then you're going to reflect that light back. What causes me to have hesitation when I talk about these things is I know that there are people out there where their suffering or their hardship is just continuous. Um, I have an autoimmune disease, so some days I have really good days and some days I really have hard days. And sometimes those things just continue and they don't get better. And I think grumbling and complaining, it'd be really easy to say, well, you know, for people who have a season of suffering and then they come out of it and they're okay, um, and life goes back to normal or life is joyful, that is a little bit different flavor than someone who has continuous suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think I I would say the same thing, but that, you know, when I have hard days or when I am really struggling emotionally with having something that's continuously a thorn in the flesh, I am looking at the situation. I'm not looking at Christ. Christ gives me the grace for every day. And and sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes I don't have the energy to do what I want to do. Um, but in this past season, I've really learned to look at the body of Christ, that Christ tabernacled with us and his body suffered. And so therefore, can I look with hope at the broken body of Christ and know that he has fulfilled all of my needs and one day... The suffering that I continually experience will be okay, will be healed. Yes. Is that hard some days? Yes. Do I grumble and complain? Yes. But the Lord meets me in that. That's a helpful distinction, I think, to bring out the lament of a broken world and the injustices in the world that we should rightfully lament, that Jesus Christ himself laments with us versus what I think Paul is really trying to parse out here is the disputing 
that is leading to disunity in the church. Totally two different things. So I think that's a helpful distinction to bring out. So as we are thinking about just how we live this out, when we think about being sons and daughters and all the privileges and responsibilities that comes with, remembering that we are a child of God, how does that enable us to do everything without complaining or grumbling? And against one another, I guess, right, is the emphasis. I love the fact that, you know, the phrase being a child of God and does what that entails. It just entails being part of a family. As long as I've been a Christian, the more and more um, living this life, I have seen the church as family. I mean, I want my, my kids, my two boys and my daughter, to know that they have a bunch of uncles and aunts <laughs> um, and grandparents here at the church. So, you know, I always put on Amber, on Aaron, this is family. You know, it doesn't mean that family doesn't make you mad. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so sometimes you can get um, angry and you want to grumble and complain about family. But with God at the nucleus um, of this family is that we need to come back together, being the child of Jesus, he's the one at work. He's the one who's keeping you. I mean, like it says in Jude 24, 25, he's the one who's keeping you from stumbling. He's the one who is um, presenting you blameless. It's it all the work of Christ. So when I realized that it's not on so much me trying to keep it together, even though I do have a part in that, but it's ultimately the spirit at work and the spirit is still at work at our church. And so when there's disunity, we need to come together and and bring harmony because crisis right in the middle. Julian hit on being a child of the king. I think if you have the right view of being adopted and loved and worthy and cared for and the the imago deo of you are if you are in Christ, you are this you're going to be and are being glorified with Christ. If you have that right view about yourself, how much more should we have that view of other people? Christ brings this to mind when I get angry with other people or frustrated with other people is that person, whatever you see in them that you don't like, I see them as my beloved child. And man, that gives you pause. Yeah, that's true. It allows us to give each other dignity and mercy, especially within the body of Christ, but even to all human beings, knowing that they have been given dignity by God. Mary and Julian, thank you for joining us today. Listeners, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you're doing your spring cleaning list making. Caitlin McNair and Joanne Holton will be joining us to talk about Philippians 3 verses 1 through 11. We hope you'll listen in.
Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain. 